Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, coaches. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. I'm a head girls basketball coach at Lake Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. I'd like to welcome you to Episode 20 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today we had a special guest. Of course, all my guests are special. But today we have a great opportunity to pick the brain of probably one of the best coaches probably in, in girls basketball in the state of Georgia, Coach Jan Azar of Wesleyan School. She's the head girls basketball coach, assistant AD, and math teacher at Wesleyan School in Northcross, Norcross, Georgia. She was the first head coach in school history in 1997. She has won 13 Georgia High School single-A, double-A girls state basketball championships. Her teams have competed in 16 of the last 18 Georgia High School girls state championship games. Her overall career record is 461 and 96. She has 13 regular season region championships, nine regional tournament championships. From 2000 to 2007, she had 83 consecutive region wins. She has coached 32 players who played and are or now are playing in college basketball. Has coached some All-American players like Michaela Combs of UConn, Anne Marie Armstrong of UGA and Nikki Luckhurst of Tulane University. She has coached 11 players who have reached the 1,000-point club in school history and two players with over 2,000 career points. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Jan Azar of Wesleyan. Hey, Coach. Hey. Jan, how are you? I appreciate you coming on. Well, I'm glad to be here. Good to talk yeah, to you thank again. You. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um... Hey, I, I just I got to tell you, uh, I've interviewed some great coaches and I'm not sure if I'm going to get anybody better than you. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, I've listened to some of your stuff, so I think you've got better people, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> well, coach, thank you so much. I know you're, you're pretty busy. Hey, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got involved in the coaching? Because I think your story is pretty amazing. I read so many, so many stories about how you got started. And which person or coach really had a great impact on you? You know, I, um, I loved high school basketball. I played at St. Pius here in Atlanta. I played for Coach Bill Casey, um, who had a huge influence on me. Um, and so he got me excited about basketball when I was a freshman in high school and, um, and just, you know, really um, pushed me to, to be a really good player and be a really smart player. So I learned a lot from him about um, understanding the game. And so um, that's really when I knew I was um, going to be a coach. After that, I went on to Auburn. Um, wasn't sure about teaching and coaching, but um, figured um, that that's really what I wanted to do. Became a math teacher and a coach, and that's how I started. I started out in DeKalb County um, and then um, eventually ended up over here at Westland. Yes. And, you know, just kind of continue on with that. I, I read a story the other day about you coming on to the uh, Wesleyan campus, I think probably before it was built, meeting with uh, 
headmaster Zach Thomas, right? Of Wesleyan. Yeah, it was Zach. And, uh, it was Zach Young. Yeah. Um, Zach Young. I'm sorry, Zach Young. Yes. That's okay. He is. Um, he's you know definitely one of um, the people in my life that influenced me the most. I, most I was um, teaching at Pace Academy um, and coaching there as an assistant coach and. I couldn't really find a head coaching job anywhere. I didn't have any experience, so no one wanted to hire me. And so I was driving out to visit my parents out here in Peachtree Corners and drove past Westland, which had just really begun um, breaking ground and pulled in the school and went into one of the trailers because it was all trailers on the campus at that time and, and went in and talked to Zach and um, told him I really wanted to be a head coach and did they need a head coach here. And then we talked a little bit and he asked me if I thought I was ready um, to be a head coach. And I just said, I'm not sure, but, um, do y'all have someone else? And they didn't have anyone else at the time. And so he gave me a chance when nobody else would. And I got to come over here and start the program really from scratch. They had a, um, you know, a team that Wesleyan was a school out in Sandy Springs before it moved out here. So they had had middle school teams, but I was really the first varsity coach here in the Georgia High School Association. And um, he gave me a chance when nobody else would. I started everything from scratch. And so um, the kids kind of came in and believed everything I said because they, had, they didn't know anything else. So it was kind of cool <laughs> um, just to come into a brand new environment and start from scratch. Yeah, and I, I'm actually, I, I, that's why I wanted to really give you a call because I'm over here at Lake Oconee Academy and uh, we, we, we started a program from scratch too. Of course, if we can even get 10% of the success that you have had, we would love it. We're a charter school out here in Greensboro. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Right. And um, are you near the lake? Because I'm coming. I'm on my way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're, we're actually very close. A lot of our, a lot of our students are, um, live at uh, Reynolds Plantation, but we also have a lot of our, since we are a state chartered school, we have a lot of kids from Greensboro. And from the Green County area, so we have kind of a good mix. Uh, it's really interesting school, and it's growing. It's getting bigger and bigger, and our campus is growing. New high school, new gym, all that. So it's really a fun experience being part of this. Well, I think that's what people who have never done something like this and going to a school and you know starting you know with nothing and just you know building, watching the school grow, watching the campus grow, seeing everything built and done for the first time. Um, sure. it's, it's one of the coolest experiences that I would never trade. I would never trade um, my first season at Wesleyan. We only won four games that year, but um, it was just, um, it was a group of people, a small group of people um, and our teachers and our coaches and mainly the families who bought into Wesleyan um, that just bought into a dream and an idea that, that Zach put together. Um, and it's one of the coolest experiences that I've had in my lifetime is to just watch something be built the way that Wesleyan was built and to get to be a, a small part of it. Yes. And I, I consider you and I, I know I've, um, of course, I've, I've coached against your team and you have an amazing program. I'm not going to tell you the scores or what, uh, but your program is first class. I mean, I've always felt like you have always treated every uh, team that came in there with class. Um, did you realize, did you have a vision at that time on what you guys would become? You know, I just, no, I didn't have any idea that, you know, um, 22 years later we would have won 13 state championships that, uh, that didn't cross my mind. It actually was not even part of my goal. You know, I wanted to create a program where girls could, um, 
get better at everything that they do. And I wanted to create a program that was a family. And this is a K through 12 school. And so my goal really was to to take girls from as young as possible and teach them the game of basketball and hope that it would be something that they would fall in love with and that they could use the things that we teach them within our program and on the court in their real life one day. And so what's exciting for me is to see players that I've known since they were six, seven years old, and now they're in law school or they're becoming doctors or they're back coaching. And so that's what, you know, my dream was in creating a program. The winning is just extra, um, teaching girls to be competitive and, um, and do things that they didn't think they can do. If I believe they can do things that they don't think they can, they start to believe me. Um, and so, you know, that was my vision was to create just a, a top program. And then, you know, the winning was the bonus to all of that. And I think that's a key to what coaches, you know, have a hard time understanding is you can go the fast way or you can go the way that lasts a long time. And so, you know, we built our program based on young players. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of coaches are caught up in the game of transfers and, you know, I, I, the occasional transfer is, um, is beneficial to any program. But I think if you can build a program with your lower school students and your middle school students, if you have the capability to do that, then it stands for a long time. And it's just not an overnight success that goes away. Yeah, you've always been known for that. That's one thing I've always recognized. You, all, you have that, that great foundation, don't you, over there? I mean, you continually have those young players coming up. Uh, you, you do a great job of that. Can you provide our listeners with what are your cornerstones and you pretty much said it, but what are your cornerstones? What are your core values that you're trying to build your program on there? Well, you know, um, de definitely hard work um, and commitment. Uh, and I think those are the two that really um, stand the test of time. If you can find girls, boys, whoever, um, who want to work hard and be committed to something, then success is going to happen. And, you know, how do you, um, how do you gauge success? I mean, is success by wins and losses? Not necessarily. I think it's, you know, where are you, <clears throat> where are your players now? Um, where, you know, do you keep up with them? Do they come back to visit? Are they successful in their lives? And, you know, a lot of people, um, value different things. And for us, the value of our girls is not in the wins and losses and championships is what are they doing after they graduate from Wesleyan. And so, you know, commitment and hard work will take kids a long way. It will take coaches a long way. And if I expect that from my players, I have to give it myself. And so they know that I'm fully committed to them. My home is always open. Um, my phone is always on. And, you know, I'm always here for them, whether they're in college or out of college. And so I'm committed to them. Um, and they are committed to this program. And so I think that's the biggest thing in their families. Um, I mean, it's a family commitment to be a part of a, a, any program, um, whether it's basketball or football or whatever it is, it's a family commitment. So I would say commitment and hard work are really the staples to our program. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, within your own family, you have a daughter coming up that's actually a pretty good player. Tell us a little bit about uh, what, what grade is she in? Is she um, she's also a pretty good softball player too. Is that right? Yeah. Nicole is a 10th grader here at Wesleyan. Um, she plays on our softball team and she plays for me. She's a shooting guard. Um, yeah. she's, she's better than I ever was, but don't tell her that. Um, <laughs> I, I can't let her know. 
Um, but right. she, she's grown up around the game. She was sitting on my bench when she was two years old. Uh, and so, um, you know, she, she understands it. She's got a, a high basketball IQ. She loves it. Um, she's very proud of Wesleyan basketball and getting to be a part of it. And so she takes pride in just putting on the uniform. And I think that spreads um, throughout um, to have someone who's been here for so long. Um, but a lot of our girls um, have been here since um, kindergarten and middle school, and, and they take pride in finally getting to put on that Wesleyan jersey that they've seen all these girls before them get to put on. But, you know, I think I was pregnant with Nicole and the first time I won a state championship. So she's essentially been there every single time we've played. And so, um, but she does also play softball. She's not um, as big of an impact player in softball as she is in basketball, but it's important to me that um, both of my children um, play multiple sports. I think a big thing with kids today is that they try to um, put too much into one thing and, and that sometimes lets them down. And I think that playing multiple sports or just doing multiple things gives kids value outside of thinking that they are just a basketball player. Basketball is just something that they do. It's not who they are. Um, and that's what I want them to understand. And so it's just important to me that both of my children do a lot of different stuff until they figure out what they really want to do in this world. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Cause I, you don't see that too often these days, whether that's baseball or, or travel basketball. You see a lot of kids just specializing. And that's a problem, don't you, don't you think, Jan? I, I just like to see all around. And not only that, in a small school setting, they have to support the other programs, right? It is. It's a huge problem. I think a lot of the smaller schools and even the bigger schools are having struggles with JV teams. Um, you know, everybody wants to, um, especially with girls, everybody wants to play what they think they're good at. Um, right. And what they don't realize is that they've got to support each other because the only way to get better is to have JV teams for our younger players um, in all of the sports. And so if you're really, really good at um, soccer and you go play on the JV uh, softball team, then maybe somebody on the varsity softball team will come out and play on the JV soccer team until you're ready to play varsity soccer so that y'all have teams that you can you know, use to get better and to get ready to play on the varsity team one day. And I think that's the struggle with girls right now is that they want to put all their time into one thing because they want to play on that varsity team one day. And they think to do that, they have to go out and play club sports, AAU, all of those things. And you can do that and still play on your school teams. Um, all of my players or the majority of them who've come through Wesleyan, who've been my best players, have been multi-sport athletes. Um, you know, Sutton West, who just graduated and is playing basketball at Furman, won 10 state championships in soccer, track, and basketball during her time at Wesleyan. Um, and so, you know, we have so many girls who have come through my program who have done multiple sports and Nicole has grown up watching that. And so has my son, Andrew. And so, you know, the people that they are watching, they want to be like them. And so, you know, I would just encourage all the kids out there that are struggling with the, um, you know, single sport dilemma to find something else that they can do because when they get to college, it does become a job and then they can't do all the fun stuff that they've missed out on when they were in middle school and high school. Yeah, and you're well. That's you know the the basketball coach's daughter. You guys are definitely setting the example. It's all all about community, right? It's all about 
you know, sharing, sharing the players and kind of developing the entire program. Sure. And getting to know different kids. I mean, um, you don't want to just know the same people during your entire time in high school. There's lots of people out there to know if there's not another sport that you want to play, go learn to play an instrument, play in the band, go try out for the play, even if it's a small part. Um, And it's a great time to get to know people who aren't exactly the same as you are and don't play the same sport um, that you play. And I think it's just really big so that you know a lot of people as you're walking through the halls. It's a fun time to, to learn and get to know so many different types of people. Yeah, I totally agree. Cross training, right? The studies proven that a kid that plays multiple sports are actually helping him is helping his, um, the sport soccer player, girl soccer player, you know, it, it's helping her out when she comes out to the basketball court. Um, so I think the cross training helps too, right? Oh, cross training definitely and injury prevention is a huge one. I mean, if you, um, you know, want to, if you play, um, gosh, volleyball year round and you're hitting over and over and over again, that, that shoulder is going to suffer. If you're right. playing basketball year round and you're, you know, beating on those knees and then that, um, that knee is going to suffer. If you are swimming year round, I mean, the short back to the shoulder, same thing with baseball and softball with the throwing. And so if you do, you know, a variety of sports, you're not using the same things over and over again. And hopefully, you know, you can miss that that injury that you might have due to overuse. And so not only the cross training, um, you know, running track is great for basketball, um, but, you know, it's just also about having fun. Um, You know, everybody thinks that they want to go play in college and college is great. You know, any of our girls who who want to do that, we're going to provide that opportunity for them at some level. But. High school is is one of the best times to get out there and experience just so many different things. And playing multiple sports and doing multiple things can help you in so many ways from injury prevention to cross training to getting to know other people to not getting burned out. I mean, burnout by the time kids hit their senior year um, is an all time high. Um, and, and you hit that um, that senior year and then all of a sudden you've done this one thing your whole life and you're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I had done some other things. And so <laughs> that would be the biggest thing I would encourage um, parents and kids um, is to get involved and stay involved in your schools. Um, that's those are the people that you want to influence your children. Um, you want these teachers and coaches in your children's lives. Um, and, and so that's what we tell our kids here at Wesleyan to get on this campus and find some different things to do and stay involved. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I wish more coaches and hopefully the coaches that are going to be listening to this can actually heed that advice. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the, I'm telling you that that's great advice for all the coaches and parents out there, coach. You, and of course you mentioned fun. I remember seeing all your teams and, you you have your your program. I remember you guys. You guys have a lot of fun. I know you y'all won a lot of games, but I can I can kind of watch and see Wesleyan teams. You guys have a joyful bench. It just seems like you guys do have a lot of fun. Is that a big part of your um, you know part of your program? It is. I mean, we work hard um, and we play hard and we have fun while we're doing it. If you can't. Um, smile and laugh and have a good time, then I'm not sure why you're doing something that is a choice. Um, You know, you got to go to class. It's not a choice. You have to go. 
Um, but playing a sport is a choice, um, being in the play is a choice. And so if you're making a choice to do something, then you should have fun while you're doing it. Now, I would love for everyone to have fun in every class that they go to. But ultimately, <laughs> you know, we have our favorites of what classes right. we like and what we don't like. But extracurricular activities are a choice. And so, you know, as a coach, if a kid is making a choice to come and play basketball, I really do want them to have fun and enjoy themselves. And so our practices are not, you know, super strict and just, you know, um, hard to, they're hard. I mean, we push, but we have a good time. If somebody makes a crazy mistake, it, we feel free to laugh. And, um, and you know, life too short to not be able to laugh at yourself sometimes too. So I think that, you know, um, knowing my players off the court, having my office open and my home open, um, that it allows me to have that relationship and my assistant coaches to have that relationship with them that we can get on them and practice and they can know that we love them and care about them and that they can still have a good time while we're working hard. Yeah, that, that, that is so true. And, and let's, let's add on to that with your feeder program. I know you mentioned it before. I know you run a lot of camps and so forth. How would you, cause your, your school is very similar to ours. I, I teach K five PE and I can't believe I get paid for that. I, I love it. It's one of my, I really enjoy teaching the PE classes, but I have, I have relationships with kids from grades K all the way up. And I, I'm assuming you're doing the same thing, building your program. How do you do it there at Wesley? Well, when I started here, I really, our varsity team was young and, you know, I wanted to teach them how to play, and they were great, great girls. In fact, the freshmen on that team were the ones that played in our first state championship. But I, as I was watching the school and, and just seeing kids walk through campus, I thought, well, what if I can get them even younger than this? And, um, and so I got into our middle school teams, and our middle school teams um, over the next couple of years began to win the middle school championship. And so my camps were huge and getting the younger girls in there. But, you know, I, I hope that I have had influence over our younger girls here to get involved with basketball. But I'll tell you, the biggest influence for younger girls is the players that you have. Uh, they right. love the coaches and we love them and we have a great time with them. But I train my players to train the younger girls. And so they come in and they work my camps and they come in and they help run our lower school league here and they work clinics. And then when those young girls come in to watch a varsity basketball game, they know the players who they have worked with and they want to be just like them. And so my best, um, my best influence over the younger girls here at Wesleyan are the players that I have on my team and they represent us so well. And so, you know, that, that is what I would recommend to any school that is K through 12 is to utilize the people that, you know, you know best, and those are your varsity players, and allow them to have the influence and learn the leadership skills that it takes to influence our younger girls. I totally agree with that. I think it's something that I stole from you you and Gene Durden watching your programs. Um, you know, we have special nights for our little kids, and they sit on our bench, and they're part of the team. The kids love that type of stuff. They do. And, and the older girls love it. They do. They do. The older girls love to teach and coach. I mean, we've um, taught and coached them, but, you know, it, it, like for Nicole, for example, you know, she has gotten to grow up with some of the best role models in these girls. And now 
she gets to put on that jersey and she gets to influence the younger girls. And then one day, one of those younger girls will get to grow up and influence the younger ones. And, you know, they do. They come in our locker room. We, we have a lower school night. We have a middle school night. And um, it's just great. It's a program. It's a family. And um, it's just it's a fun experience for all of these girls. Yeah. And tell me about it's always I think what you're good at. You always have some great guards. I don't think that's by luck. You've had some unbelievable players. What do you do with your skill development? What are some key things that you do to develop, particularly kids that can really um, uh, handle the ball and shoot? Yeah, well, ball handling is a priority for us in all of our grades. And so we never stop doing ball handling. If you can dribble, you can play. And so, you know, unlike some other sports, for example, um, softball, um, soccer, when you're at a younger age, you can you can hit the ball. It's not too high for you. You've got a parent out there throwing it to you. In soccer, you can kick it in the goal. Um, a lot of times when, when kids start off playing soccer, there's no goalie. And so, you know, you can get it in that goal. But in basketball, even if you lower the goal for a lot of younger girls and boys, they can't get it to the goal yet. And so the biggest thing that we start with here is dribbling so that kids will get comfortable dribbling the basketball. And it's helped us develop a lot of really, really good point guards and a lot of post players who can actually handle the basketball. And right. so I would say ball handling should be any coach's number one priority. If you start shooting too early, kids learn to shoot with two hands um, right. to get it to the basket. And so you don't want to start that too early. And if you can teach a kid to dribble, they feel like they're doing something because it's so hard to get and you see it all the time in rec leagues. The score ends up four to two. Um, and, yes. And so, and that's like in sometimes in fourth, fifth grade. And so, you know, you start raising that goal up. It's hard to get the ball in. So it really helps girls um, feel like, you know, they can play this game if they can handle it the right way. So we do a ton of ball handling with our girls when they are younger. Um, as we move, we started, I started a league here, um, gosh, probably 15, 16 years ago because I, you know, boys will go out and find a league to play in when they're in fifth and sixth grade. So a lot of times I was finding that we weren't getting our girls into actual playing until they hit seventh grade when we had teams here. And so I created um, a fifth and sixth grade team and a lower school league. So if they weren't going to go find it, I was going to bring it to them. And so I go down and I help coach those fifth and sixth grade teams. And we do a lot of um, drill work with them. We don't run a lot of plays in our middle school. Um, plays are only good if you can make a basket or dribble a ball. So if you spend your time teaching a lot of plays and they can't dribble and they can't shoot, then you look like a great coach because you taught them plays, but right. they, they still can't score because they don't know how to play the game. So we don't teach a lot of plays when they're younger. We do a lot of fundamentals and we keep a ball in their hand all the time. We don't, you know, have them stand around and listen to us talk. They're just doing drill after drill um, and learning how to, handle a basketball we move into shooting you know probably around sixth seventh grade um right left-handed layups um but it's all ball handling leading up into that yeah i love that and uh we're trying to do the same thing here give me your feedback jan on um i'm, I'm i have acts i have control of really the entire feeder program boys and girls here uh, i'm starting more three on three Give me your feedback on that. I think three-on-three is better for youth. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, 
I like three on three. Um, you know, you can't hide in three on three. You can hide when there's um, five on five, but you can't hide when it's three on three. You got to pass the ball more. You got to learn how to cut, um, you know, teaching kids to screen a little bit, but just to, um, to not hide. You, you only have three people, so you got to share the ball a little bit more. So I like the idea of three on three. I know there's some three on three leagues around the area in Atlanta that um, some of our kids have done. Yeah, I just I just think it it um, and I think the kids enjoy it because they're getting more touches, right? I mean, you, I, I've seen youth games where a kid never touches the ball. It's really sad, right. um, but uh, that's all a part of growing and learning. Hey, tell me about um, you've had some great players over the last twenty twenty one years. I think it is. You had Amory Armstrong, Michaela Combs, and one of one of my favorite was as Nikki Luckhurst. I remember her. Um, she's the one that kind of got it started, right? Tell me about these great players and why did, what, what did you learn from them coaching them? You know, um, the, the first player that comes to my mind that kind of laid the foundation of Wesleyan basketball, um, you know, and there's a couple of them, um, but Dana Burney um, was our first girls basketball scholarship athlete. She went to Presbyterian when it was a division two school. Um, and she was a freshman on my very first team here. And um, she kind of, you know, kind of laid the foundation. But we had some other girls here at the time who could play. Jill Austin comes to mind. Um, and these were girls that uh, just came into a brand new program and, you know, bought into the rules and um, the work and the commitment. And they kind of got things going. Now, Nikki, um, was huge for us. Um, she came over here as a ninth grader. Um, her parents were moving this way and she and Laura were um, looking for a school and she came over here um, as a ninth grader. I believe Laura was in the eighth grade and she, you know, she just could shoot the heck out of the basketball. And <laughs> I think she still ranks up there in the top three and three pointers made um, here in Gwinnett County. Um, but she was also a competitor. So she brought a competitiveness to our program that, um, that was unlike anyone I had ever seen. And so, you know, she just, she refused to lose. And so that competitiveness, um, just fed into everyone else. But, um, you know, Jenny Hall, the Halls came in, um, here, um, when they were younger and the Whitney twins, um, came here as seventh graders. And so that was when our school was really new. And so they had to kind of buy into something that wasn't built yet. Um, and they kind of laid the foundation for everything that um, has been built since them. And so I, since then, I hate to name names because I'm going to leave somebody out. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, um, yeah. the, what I've learned from all these girls is, you know, what it means to buy into something and be committed and work hard. And they were all, you know, normal great kids who just believed in something that was bigger than themselves and if they believed in what I was doing then I had to believe in what I was doing and and they bought in and just the type of person um that they were off the court um and the role model they were for my kids um it, it was bigger than basketball and their families were huge in the building of everything that we did here yeah and of course you know, great leaders kind of get these players to really play above themselves. And I know you've done a great job of that. Um, and you have had, I think, 42 
go on and play college basketball. That's unbelievable. That do you? Uh, that's really impressive, Jen. How do you get next level? Well, you know, you've got the Anne Marie Armstrongs of the world um, that you know. Anne Marie didn't need a ton of my help in the recruiting process. People were coming after her. Um, and what people don't realize, you know, kind of back to the multi-sport thing, Anne Marie could have run track, um, played volleyball, or played basketball at the Division One level. She also won 10 state championships uh, while she was at Wesleyan. She actually came back and spoke to the girls um, and pushed Sutton to tie, to tie or beat that record. Um, and she was excited for Sutton when she did. And so, you know, for, for kids like Anne Marie – from Michaela, um, people are coming after them to play at the next level. But when you have a small to mid-level um, Division One basketball player, you really got to get to work for them. You know, they've put in all this time for you. Um, and I feel like some coaches throw them out into the AAU world and say, good luck. And, um, you know, we have to battle for them. We have to get on the phone and we have to call the right schools where our kids fit. And it's important to me that not only do our girls go play at the next level if they want to, but that we find a fit for them that fits them academically, socially, and with and that they can stay there and impact a program. Um, you know, everybody wants to sign that dotted line for one day but then do you really want to go to that school? And so find the level at which your kids can play, pick up the phone and call those coaches, um, invite them into your practices and invite them to your games and get your kids exposure playing for you and not just during AAU. And I'm not, you know, a hater of AAU. Nicole plays AAU. I think it, you know, has its benefits, but when you go into an AAU um, arena and you have hundreds of games going on at one time, what makes your kids stand out and the only thing that can ha that can make them stand out is if a coach is pointing in the direction to go watch that kid unless sure. they are an Anne marie armstrong or katie furkin um, or a michaela coombs but the majority of our girls here at wesleyan i have to pick up that phone and call and point them in the right direction for the right schools that they should go and play at and that does not necessarily mean um, a BCS major Division One school. The majority of our girls here have gone on to play small to mid-level Division One basketball, which are great experiences. And I, uh, a reason why I'm asking these questions, I have a girl here, Destiny Mc, Destiny McClendon, who's really a unbelievable student and athlete. Uh, I'm hoping you get a chance to see her. She's a sophomore, and she that that's what we're trying to do now. She's playing a lot of travel ball. But I'm also making a lot of calls. I, um, of course, Georgia College, you know, Coach Smith really likes her and so forth. But, but um, I think she can play at least even a higher level. But um, I, it's the right fit, right? Because right. you're looking for that academic, that social. Uh, she wants to stay close to home so her family can see. Uh, so that's a lot of work we got to do, isn't it? It is. And, you know, um, what you have to think about, too, is what are you trying to get out of the whole process of all the girls that, you know, you named in the nearly 40, whatever it is. I, can, I don't even know the number now that have gone on from Wesleyan to play basketball at the next level. I've had three go play professionally. Um, and Anne Marie played for the Atlanta Dream um, for a season. Um, and, and then Anne Marie and Katie and Nikki Luckhurst have played overseas. Um, other than that, those other you know, almost 40 girls 
have now made a career and a degree that they've gotten it caught in college by playing basketball and going for free. Um, and so, you know, what are you trying to get out of this whole thing? Do you, do you want to be a doctor? Um, if you do, let's find you a school that connects to a medical school. Um, do you want to be a lawyer? Let's find you a school that connects to a law school. Um, and so, you know, is education your top priority or is it playing at the highest level? Is that your top priority? So all of those things are, you know, things that we look at um, that go into decision making. I've had players who've been offered by, um, you know, SEC schools and gone on to decide to play in the Ivy League. Um, and so, you know, it's all about what are you trying to get out of this? Um, and, you know, for me, what I want our girls to get out of it is a career um, and making the right right career choice. It could be the best basketball fit, but does it even have what you want to major in? Um, and so all of those things we look at for our girls, um, and do they want to stay close to home, or are they willing to go away? Do they want to go away from home? Um, and so those are, those are big pieces to what we're looking for. One thing that sent Natalie Armstrong over to Samford to play two years ago was their nursing program. Um, and so, you know, we look at all of that, and that's what I would encourage you to do with your player is to, you know, of course you want to find the right basketball fit, but you also want to find the right academic fit. Well, I think that's more important. It I mean, that, that, that's is. the priority. You're, you're so right about that. Yes. Um, and that takes a lot of research and that takes a lot, of, you know, like you said, getting on the phone, contacting a lot of people and so forth. But um, that's great advice. Hopefully the coaches will take that advice because uh, sometimes I think the travel balls, sometimes the coaches, they are just focusing on basketball. They are, and it's, and it's not necessarily their fault. We get them five yeah. days a week um, for an entire, what, 10 months out of the year. In travel ball, you practice once or twice a week and go play in a few tournaments, and so the relationship is not exactly the same. You know, I would hope right. that a teacher and a coach knows their players better. If they don't, they should, um, and we know them in the classroom. We know, you know, what their grades look like. We know their personality, and we know what kind of coach they can play for, um, and we know where they fit, and so, you know, you also want to put your players to work on that. I always tell my players the way we start is they start with a list and their list is to include, um, you know, a few stretch schools that they would just love to go play at a few schools that they think fit them basketball wise. And then a few schools that they know they could go play at. And they start that list for me. They create a spreadsheet and they get me names and numbers and email addresses. And that's how we begin the process. And as I see what they want, um, I add to that list for them and begin to help them um, point them in the right direction. Yes, and I think it's more important that the, the player does. Yes. Is that what you're saying? I mean, really have the player focus yes. um, on her wants. Yeah, because now they're growing up. I mean, you're now, yeah. you know, don't start the process too soon. You tell a freshman in high school to go make you a list. <laughs> first school on everybody's list is going to be UConn. Right. And so, you know, um, you don't, you know, starting this process and committing and doing all that stuff when you're so young, the majority of our girls, um, I would say probably 95% of our players, and it may be more than that, have not committed until they hit the summer going into their senior year. Um, and, and so, you know, by then they kind of have an idea of what they want. And so, you know, we don't, we don't have very many girls who've done the, you know, committing in the eighth, ninth grade. And if people are telling girls 
you know, that the offers should be coming when they're freshmen and sophomores in high schools. That's also not true. Um, right. That may happen from the Michaela Coombs of the world, but the majority of our girls here at Wesleyan, um, they get their offers towards the end of their junior year and into their um, the summer going into their senior year. Now, we do like for them to commit and do the early signing in November of their senior year so that they can relax and enjoy that senior season. In fact, all of our girls have done it that way. But the majority of the offers do not happen until the end of the junior year and into the summer. And so, you know, Katie Ferkin's offer to Auburn happened, I think it was in August of, of her senior year. And that's where she ended up going. And so, you know, be patient, enjoy the process. Don't get stressed out by it. Um, don't let your players get stressed out by everything that, that's going on and the people who are tweeting all their offers and everything, you know, out there on social media. Just get better. And if you get better, then there's somewhere for you to play. Yeah, if you're good, people will find you, right? Right. Um, and you do have to have the help <laughs> being found. Sure, sure. Um, but if you're good enough, you can you can find the help you need to be found. Just get better. Absolutely. That's great advice. You are watch your team. You guys have an unbelievable defensive system. Tell me a little bit about your philosophy on defense. I know you love the press. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I, when I started out um, at Wesleyan, um, we were being beaten by teams um, by, you know, 80, 90 points. And so, you know, I'm watching these teams and thinking, what are they doing that we're not doing? Um, and they were just defensively taking us out of our comfort zone. And so as I watched and learned from, you know, other coaches, you know, I kind of became a defensive minded coach, um, even though I was more of an offensive minded player because I was a point guard. Um, but, you know, if you can make high school girls uncomfortable with the basketball and not allow them to set up what they want to set up, because a lot of coaches focus so much on running plays and right. You know, if a team is not allowed to run the play that their coach is yelling to them from the sideline, then do they know how to counteract what's going on? And I found that a lot of teams and players didn't. And so you, we started focusing our efforts early on in my program on defensively just getting after it. You know, you can run whatever defense you want if your kids will buy into getting after it, play hard and get after it. And so, you know, but if you have one weak link to that, um, then everything falls apart. So every single player that goes on that court has to buy into playing hard, no matter what defense you throw at another team. I'm big at changing up defenses. Um, we have a lot of different types of presses that we run um, and we change it up on a call. Um, it could be a face guarding press. It could be a trapping. It could be straight man to man. It could be based on a made basket or a missed basket. Um, and if you can mix it up and get your kids, you know, just to play hard, you can, you can really, you know, um, mess up what another team is trying to do. That's our goal. We want to mess up your game plan. And, you know, the less of a game plan you have, the less another team can mess you up. And so we just really started out early teaching our girls how to play the game instead of overcoaching them. 
Um, and so, you know, a lot of times if I leave a game and I go in the locker room and I tell the kids I'm more tired than they are after the game, then that's, there's something wrong with that. Um, but right. you know, if you've seen me coach, I, I'll get after it on the sidelines. So if I'm going hard, you better be going hard. Yeah. And you guys definitely play hard. And I love that idea because don't, even if you're not a team that has a lot of talent, create a lot of shot opportunities by trying to force turnovers, by, but you still got to know what you're doing. But still, I think you can really create a lot of opportunities, don't you think? Sure. I mean, what's the easiest shot in basketball? Layup. Um, sure. And so, you know, that, that's, that was um, completely what we built it on. And so, you know, w- but we start them early. Our, our fifth graders run the same presses that we run. Um, and we'll teach one a year. And then we'll add on. And by the time they hit eighth grade, they know all four. Um, and so, you know, we start them early and we teach them how to be aggressive because, you know, in, in the world that we live in, we're teaching our girls, you know, how to be nice and sweet and kind. And that's great. But when you get on that court, you're not a girl, you're not a boy, you're an athlete. Um, and we're going to get after it. And we're going to play hard. And I think that is the first thing to accomplish with, um, with a young lady in sports is how can you still be a young lady? and play really, really hard when you get into the sport that you play. Um, and, you know, you, you got to have that passion and you got to have that intensity. And the only way for your players to have that is if you yourself have it. Right. You can't fake that. I mean, you, you can't. Can. I know it's kind of tough, but even if you're unassuming, you can still be tough and, and, and very passionate. Um, tell you me can. about and, Well, the, I can. no, the, um, you know, I've had teams, I think it was one year, gosh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we were playing in the finals of the Deep South Classic um, at the Gwinnett Arena. And when we walked in the gym, um, they took us to a locker room, and it was kind of far in the back. And I think the lady who showed us said something like, um, the teams aren't here yet. And I didn't know what she was talking about. She thought we were our cheerleaders. Um, and so she, right. she had taken us to because she thought we looked like the cheerleading squad. Right. Um, and she, and so, you know, it was, it was a great lesson for our girls to learn that, you know, first of all, you never judge a book by its cover and, and, you know, sure. um, but it was, it was just interesting that, you know, I think that everybody gets a picture of what an athlete looks like and you can be an athlete, whether you're short or whether you're tall um, you can be, you can be an athlete and you can play hard. And like you said, you know, you can be a really good basketball player and you can have a really good basketball team, even if you don't have the most elite players out there. And I have been fortunate as we progressed, um, in our program to have really good basketball players, but we didn't start that way. Um, and so, you know, teaching our kids to play hard is, um, is what, you know, just kind of fed our program. And then you take really good basketball players and you teach them and you teach them to play hard or they feed off of each other. And now you got a gold mine. Yeah. And you, and you're staying consistent, right? Um, exactly. You're not just focusing on, you know, when you have good players. Um, and I love that. And I think a lot of coaches miss that. They see that, that they don't have a lot of talent. So we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to be really passive. Don't you think? And it's like, no, they, they need to be aggressive. I do. I think, you know, a lot of teams, if you're struggling one year, um, sometimes you think, okay, we'll just sit back in a zone and hope for the best. Um, sure. But I would never judge another coach on, you know, what they do 
with their team because they know their personnel a lot better than I do. Um, but I just, you know, my philosophy is that no matter what defense we are in, we are going to be aggressive in that defense. Even if we're playing a zone, we're playing a matchup and we're in your face and we're on the ball. Um, because I just think you, if you make people uncomfortable and you make them think the game, sometimes, you know, you're going to mess them up. And that's our goal. We want to mess you up. Yeah, and make them uncomfortable. And you guys definitely do that. Absolutely. Um, and I know I know you're busy, uh, but I my question I have for you here is how do you run your practice? I ask this of all my coaches because I know practices are the lifeblood of a program. What do you do differently that separates you from other programs in your practices? Um, well, I don't know what I do differently because I don't I haven't been to other people's um, practices, although I have um, seen some. Um, you know, we we keep it short and we keep it simple. I don't overwork our kids by practicing for three hours. Um, you know, they can do that when they get to college. Um, we, you know, when you're a high school student, you're going to school all day long, um, right. taking all these classes, and then you're coming in and you're coming to practice, and we want them fresh and ready for a game. So we go an hour and a half. Um, and we do some speed and agility afterwards, but we are precise in everything that we do. I have a different schedule typed up every day. My players make fun of me because it may say seven minutes. It may say three and a half minutes, um, but we're very <laughs> precise in what we do. And we cover um, a wide variety of things throughout the week. We don't cover everything in one day. Um, and so, you know, we'll go from, um, some full court drills. We always do fundamentals, um, you know, where they're doing individual shooting and individual drills. We do breakout sessions with posts and guards and working on different skills. Um, and most of our kids do both. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, guards who play posts and posts who play guards at the high school level. You know, you have to take what walks in the door. So you may have a five, nine girl who's your post player. Um, and so, you know, you, you, we're learning all different kinds of skills. Um, we do a lot of full court stuff. We work on our press a lot. Um, we, we don't do a ton of half court. Um, I'm not a big half court person in running certain sets. Um, uh, but, you know, whatever we do in practice is precise. And once that time is done, we move to the next thing. I think a lot of coaches can get caught and wanting to perfect something right then. So my advice is to put time on the clock. And if you're working on your press defense and you have 15 minutes on the clock, when that buzzer goes off, move on to something else because 15 minutes later, they're not listening to you anymore and they need to move on to something else. And so that's what I would say. My biggest piece of advice is, is to put that time on the clock. And when your time is up, move on to the next thing. Yeah, and that helps us with discipline as coaches, right? Because the game has constraints, and the clock is one of them. It, uh, is. And we forget, forget about that sometimes. Right, right. That's true. And I just think for the kids, you know, their brains can only take so much after a full day of school. Um, and if you're right. going to do the same thing in practice and, and teach this half-court offense that you're really excited about and you're going to teach it for an hour, um, about – 10 to 15 minutes in, they are not listening anymore. And so we'll stop and we'll then move to shooting and we may right. come back to it, but we're going to stop and we're going to move on to something else. Um, but normally we'll stop that for the day. We'll move on to something else. We'll come back and do a little bit more tomorrow. And I will say that, you know, if you watch my teams at the beginning of the season, 
they look like they don't know what they're doing and they probably don't. But by the time um, February and March rolls around, we're ready to play for a state championship. Um, and we look much, much better than we did at the beginning of the season. And it, a lot of the, a lot of times it's because I haven't worn them out. Um, and so, you know, that would be the biggest thing I say, don't try to make your team look in November and December, how you want them to look in February and March. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, you are, it's, it's a slow progression, right? It is. It is. And, and get them ready. Time. Yeah. Give them time to, to learn and get better and just be patient with them and let it look ugly. Some, you know, um, number one, they don't get, you know, overworked and overstressed and number two it makes you look really good at the end of the season <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and you want them fresh you should know you, I, you you want your team fresh right right, right. i was just really kidding about that we'd love for them to go <laughs> perfect at the beginning of the season but it's impossible don't it can't happen so you know you definitely want to look better five months in than you do one month in don't hit your right. too soon that's great um hey one of my last questions here is, is about leadership. And the one thing that I try to do here is we really try to develop leaders. Um, and my definition of a good leader is they help other players. And you mentioned about your programs, player driven, not coach driven. And I really love that. How do you develop leaders in your program? Um, it starts early. Um, you know, we, we have some leadership stuff we do with our middle school girls, um, and, you know, hopefully developing, developing them into leaders, but it, it goes back to, I think, learning from each other. Um, I don't know if a lot of that comes from me or if it comes from our girls watching the girls before them. Um, I had two great leaders in Sutton West and Amaya Register last year. Um, I have one senior on my team this year, Callie Weaver. And what she learned from Sutton Amaya is a whole lot more than what she can learn about being a leader um, as a student on a basketball team. And so, you know, we started early on 20, 22 years ago teaching girls how to be leaders. And then as they became leaders, I think they learned from each other. Right. So players coaching players. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. yeah, you can tell that's definitely in your program. Um, hey, before you go, tell me about – I know Coach Dixon you guys beat up 61-44. What was, what was something that you did to kind of play like? Um, you know, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with, um, you know, giving your team time to gel and peak at the right time and not losing faith in them as you progress. And so, you know, um, I think that, you know, we – um, we graduated eight seniors two years ago. Um, and those were eight seniors who had come up through my middle school program and played together for so long. And so this year's team, last year's team was different. I mean, those eight seniors ruled for so many years. And so then you come in with all these young kids and, you know, they don't know who's coming and who's going. And outside of really Sutton and Amaya um, and maybe AC, um, we didn't have a lot of, experience out on the court and so it just took time to get everyone used to playing with each other and taking 
um, their role and running with. And I think roles are a huge part that nobody really talks about. Everybody wants to be able to do everything well. And, you know, most players need to find the one thing that they can do and do it really, really well. And so that's what took a while for us last year. We had a, a lot of young players who wanted to do everything well. And so it took us a while to convince them, this is your thing. You do this well. And someone else, this is your thing. You do this well. And if everybody does that thing well and we put it all together by the time February hits, then I think we can beat Holy Innocence. And I think we can beat St. Francis. And these teams were much bigger in size than we were. Um, and so we had to get back to some basics of learning to box out the right way and making the little things important. Um, and, you know, once we started to see a little bit of success and making those little things important, the girls started to believe in each other and believe in themselves. And it all just came together really, really nicely when we hit our postseason run. Yeah. And that goes to just your patience and your leadership and your programs about the process, right? It's all <laughs> continually trying to get better. It is. And I don't know if I was, I don't know if the girls would describe me as patient, but I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, it's about the process and, and, you know, being patient with younger players um, and them being patient with themselves because they're used to being the best on their AAU team. Um, and so, you know, they got to come out here now as a freshman and, you know, you're 14, 15 years old and you're playing against girls who are 18, 19 years old and it's different. Um, and so, you know, getting them to be patient and just believing in our system, um, I think was just huge, but it was, you know, it will go down as one of my most rewarding seasons as far as seeing the progression of this team and how they came together um, in the postseason run, especially against St. Francis and Holy Innocence, the way that we did in the final four in the state championship. It will be one that I definitely mark down as one of our greatest moments. Yeah, I mean, y'all did a terrific job. Hey, and what people don't realize, Jan, is that uh, maybe a lot of people do. I mean, you got St. Francis and Holy. I mean, they they can compete with any 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 school in the state. I mean, those are really strong programs. Tell tell us a little bit about the strength of single A, single A private. Yeah, you know, yeah, single A private is a great classification. I mean, it's strong basketball. It's um, it's great coaching. Um, and so you know, um, we enjoy the competition with all of the schools within our region and um, and within the state that we get the chance to play against. We went up to Calvary Day in Savannah um, and played um, for the Elite Eight, and they've got a really really good group. And um, he does a really good job with his girls. It was a great atmosphere, and so there's really good basketball in single A. And you know, all of the schools are competing against the bigger classifications and. Um, and, and getting great games with them. I just think girls basketball in the state of Georgia is really good right now. And you can find good competition across all classifications. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. And hey, what is one last uh, parting advice that you can give our listeners, whether they're beginning or experienced coaches and also how can they get a hold of you if they want to ask you some questions? Uh, they can um, email me anytime they want. Um, my email is on um, the Wesleyan website at jazar at Wesleyan School. Um, and so, you know, my biggest thing that I think we accomplished here at Wesleyan was the concept of team um, and throwing out your individual goals. And so that would be the biggest thing for coaches um, to overcome in this world that we live in of um, 
you know, one-on-one moves to the basket and trainers and all those things are great and building a good basketball player. But at the end of the day, there's only one ball on the court and getting your kids to share that ball and buy into um, the final score on the scoreboard and not the number of points in your stat column. that um, I would think would be the biggest and most important thing um, that we have accomplished here at Wesleyan and having kids that have gone on to play at the highest level who may end the season averaging, you know, eight or nine points a game. But at the end of the day, they have a state championship trophy and the um, cumulative score of all the players um, adds up to more than the other team. That's when you're successful. Right. And I, I tell you, just the, the information that you provided us is just unbelievable. And I'm hoping all the coaches have their notepads out. I know I did. Um, but I know you're, um, you, to me, you're one, of, you're one of the top coaches probably in the country. I know you do a great job. You've built that school from scratch. And um, I, I know you do a great job just kind of teaching your kids things that are more important than basketball that will help them later in life. But I appreciate you taking the time out, Coach, and sharing with us. Well, I appreciate you doing it. I've listened to some of your other um, – um, interviews and it is very helpful to me um, to listen to these other coaches you know we're never too old um, to learn from other people who are out there especially the young coaches who have such great new innovative ideas um, and so you know I appreciate you doing this I'll be listening to all of them coach and, and hey if I wanted to bring my team down to watch you guys practice I would love to have them come I told Gene I was going to do the same thing but I would love to bring you, uh, my team to your school because we're both single-A schools and kind of check out what you guys do. I want them to see it firsthand. Can I do that? Sure. Anytime you want, just give me a call. I will. Okay. Coach, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time out. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. All right. You too. Thank you. Coaches, I hope you enjoy the uh, interview I had with uh, Coach Jan Azar. Um, and I, I just have to tell you that um, I just think Coach Azar runs probably one of the top girls basketball programs, not only, definitely in the state, but in the country. On this, Some of the things that she has done to build that program is un- unbelievable. 13 state championships as unbelievable. But the key thing is here's some things that I think that what separates her, uh, she mentioned this before. It is not about the winning. It's about the process. Um, and the one thing that we can take advice on, she really works with her younger players um, and really starts to develop them to be part of their, their program. Uh, she talks about hard work and commitment. Those are the two things they really focus on. Um, and she really speaks about the family atmosphere, uh, that her door is always open. Her house is always open. I think those things that, you know, us coaches can really take those golden nuggets and use them. Uh, we talked about, um, the athletes at Wesleyan being multiple sport athletes. I think sometimes the kids can be specialized in one sport. Many of her players play multiple sports. Uh, she was talking about one of her players, Sutton West, who graduated last year, had 10 state championships for multiple sports. That's unbelievable. And I think that's great community for Wesleyan School where it's not just about the girls' basketball. It's about the cross country, the track. Um, and also we talked about the cross training 
where kids playing multiple sports really helps them. One of the things I really like what she said is about you got to be able to laugh at yourself. You got to be able to have fun as part of the program. And that's something that's just a little uh, tidbit or golden nugget I think we can utilize. Sometimes we don't laugh enough as coaches. I think we're too serious. And she mentioned that's a key part of their program. Um, again, the feeder program that that she runs there is unbelievable. And she mentioned that her players are definitely involved in her feeder system. And I, I totally agree with that. I think they're good role models for the kid. They teach. They, the kids want to be like the varsity girls. And I think that's a, some good advice. Um, we talked about skills. I asked her, what are some good skills, you know, particularly in the lower levels that she teaches? And she really mentions that they really focus from K up to fifth grade or sixth grade a lot of ball handling and dribbling. So they're really trying to get their kids comfortable with the ball. They don't focus a lot on shooting at that age. And I agree with that because I think kids at the young ages, no matter how much you teach it, they throw them into a game, they're going to start shooting with two hands. So they really focus a lot on ball handling. And um, I absolutely love that. I think it's great advice. <clears throat> uh, we talked about you know some of her, the players that have played for her. And she says one of the key players – was uh, Dana Burney, uh, who's one of the, one of the first uh, players to go on and play college basketball at Presbyterian, and she's had some great players: um, Anna Marie Armstrong, Michaela Combs, um, all the Nikki Lucker, some great. But she's had 32 or more, I think, players go on to play college basketball. But uh, she says um, that some of these other girls that did not go on and play big time Division One were just as important on developing the legacy of the program. <clears throat> uh, she has had three girls go on and play professionally uh, in Europe in the WNBA. Um, one point that I really like is that it's all about being patient, and that is uh, particularly at the beginning of the year, they don't try to get everything in. They don't try to win the state championship on the first game of the year. I guess that's the advice that I got. I think that's so important. It's about the process of trying to get, you know, a few things in and then kind of get your team to progress throughout the whole year. And, and by the time the, the uh, tournament starts, uh, their team is ready to go. They're fresh, ready to go. And, of course, she should know. I mean, she's been in 16 of the last 18 state championship games uh, I think that's great advice. And us coaches, we got to take that advice and really utilize it. I think some of us, we try to do too much too early. And that's great advice. I appreciate Jan sharing with us about that. Um, I talk, We talked a little bit about defense, and uh, she mentioned uh, that they absolutely just get after it. And she really believes even in the fifth grade, they're learning their press system. And sometimes as coaches, we don't focus on the younger kids being really aggressive we kind of set them back, play them in a soft zone or whatever. But she really gets her fifth grade learning how to be aggressive and play in that attacking style. Good advice. Um, her practices are short and simple, no more than 90 minutes. She talked about her practices are very precise. Um, they definitely, every practice, go over fundamentals. Um, the one important part about the fundamentals is that she develops all-around players, because so both her posts and her guards um, are learning the same skills. She, she wants all-around 
good players. She focuses mostly on full court drills and not a lot on half court. She wants her players running the floor, pressing full court. I, I did ask her about leadership and how she develops leaders. Um, and she mentioned last year she had two great leaders, Sutton West and Amaya Register. Um, and she feels like they 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 kind of learn the how to be leaders by teaching other girls in their program. So the older girls are teaching the middle school, the middle school are teaching even the younger elementary kids. And leadership is just part of their program. <clears throat> and it's something that I think as coaches we got to be less coach-led and, and try to be more player-led. Let the players lead uh, more than the coaches leading. Um, and the last thing is is we talked about her championship game. She played, uh, they played last year, how they played Holy Innocence, and they lost to them, I think, three times during the regular season. I asked her, you know, what was the difference in that game? And she said that she had a young team. And like we were saying before, they took a while to kind of learn their roles and they just finally really kind of came together at the end, which was the right time, the state championship game. And they really came out and played great and beat Holy Innocent 61-44. Great advice from a legend. Um, and remember, she's only been there 22 years. She's still got a lot of coaching left in her. Um, she's going to set unbelievable records there. Wesleyan's going to continue to build a great program and uh, I appreciate Jan sharing with us so coaches hopefully you enjoyed this interview and um, my next one uh, will be uh, coach uh, Sean Glaze head boys coach of uh, Cass High School in Atlanta and uh, I'll be putting that out a little bit later coaches take care and hopefully you enjoy this podcast thank you Five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other.